um, yes. Also, kind of going off with the music thing, um, another way to help you study information that you don't know is um, you can turn information into a, a song. So, you know, we were just saying how lyrics don't help, but they can, in a sense, if you want to learn something. Um, you know, like, we, we all... It does take a little bit more creativity, um, perhaps a little bit more time, but uh, in the end, you're going to be humming that song when that question is asked, mm -hmm. and you will get that right because you remembered it through a song. Yes, indeed. Also, guys, honestly, this might sound so cliche, but you guys have to eat a good breakfast because I know during big tests if I don't eat I like my stomach starts to growl and then everybody's looking at me like okay why is she that hungry <laughs> it's and always the worst when you're so crying. embarrassing and so quiet because we're all doing our tests and all you hear is my loud ass stomach so just like you know eat a good breakfast so you guys can be focused and actually do the um the, yes, the overnight oats are really good because they're um, healthy and yes. they're really filling. Yes. Or grits. Grits are very good, too, right, yes. guys? <laughs> um, they're really good with cheese. Very good. Um, obviously, if you don't have, like, an apartment uh, that, um, that comes with um, kitchen, then they have the ones that you can heat up in the microwave. So that's a plus as well. Mm -hmm. Also, I know a lot of um, professors, they don't take a lot of notes, and they say majority of their um so I make you and good night
my beat. I'm losing, I'm alright. He's alright, he's alright. Yeah, I just gotta get out of this prison cell. Someday I'm gonna be free.
Gotta get that. Gotta get that. Gotta get that. Gotta get that. Dep, 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 dep. Boom, boom, boom. Gotta get that. 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 Boom, boom, boom. That boom, boom, boom. That boom, boom, boom. Yo, I got that hit to beat the block. You can get that bass on below. I got that rock and roll. That future flow. That digital spit. Next level visual shit. I got that boom. Yep, 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 yep. Huh, huh, huh. Here we go, here we go, satellite. 
right, off topic on the air. Sorry, we got a little late here. Six twelve here, right outside the big city in Mawa, New Jersey. WRPR Studios. Thanks for making us a part of your week. My name is Randy Zellia. Thank you again. Wow. All right, big sports time. Uh, Anthony Zarita, the producer, back in the chair. Well, good to have him back. Wendy Greco in studio with us as well. Thank you both for coming in. I, I, at some point or another, I will address this whole co-host thing. Last week, I was on my own. I was sleeping. Uh, here in the studio and and doing the thing last week, I think I had, I think I had like, I think I think I have to thank all of our listeners for calling in who called in last week because they pretty much kept me awake. We had Brandon London who used to play for the Giants, uh, who's on the practice squad, who's doing all d- different media things now. He called in last week. Um, you know, uh, James Cratch from NJ.com called in. Uh, man, Ryan Moore who's going to call in a few minutes to talk Yankees with us. He called in. Eric Webb called in. Otis Livingston from CBS2 called in last week as well. So they all kept me awake, which was very good. I needed to sleep. I have a little bit of a headache right now. But we'll, we'll definitely make this all good tonight. Um, so we have NFL, Major League Baseball playoffs still going on. NBA started. NHL's going. Uh, Anthony has some soccer stuff as well. So I think there's just, like, everything's going on. First off, I gotta, let's, let's, let's address the 500-pound elephant in the room here. And, and it has to be said, if it's not said, it's going to be, you know, it's it's a crime if we don't bring it up. But Anthony's wearing a Beetlejuice shirt. I am. Okay. Uh, that is correct. Okay, you were not alive when Beetlejuice came out. I wasn't? I remember no. seeing it as a kid. Well, because they had something called VHS and DVDs at that point in time. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Th- that, that movie was, I think that movie came out back in like 1988. 88? All right, so what's your guess, Wendy? Maybe. Probably around there. Was it 1988 or 1989? Movie. It is 1988. Look at that. Boom, look at this guy. I know my movies. Don't know anything that's going on in the world with Trump or anything, but I know that Beetlejuice came out in 1988. All right, so that with that being said, I'm just laughing because you're wearing a Beetlejuice shirt. I very much appreciate the movie, so it's not like I'm wearing a band T-shirt and I've never listened to any of their songs. Okay, so that's fair. Okay, so I'll go with that. Uh, 201-825-1234. Follow us on social media. Uh, Off Topic BSP on Twitter. Off Topic with Randy Zellia on Facebook. And I'm also on Instagram and Twitter myself, Randy BSP, of course, on Facebook. Anthony's all over social media. Wendy's all over social media. We'll definitely get to that some point tonight. Uh, I'm trying to figure out where exactly to start with the sports. Um, I, I feel that if we don't go football first, we're not going to get back to it because of the way tonight is set up. We have Ryan Moore uh, calling in at 620. Patrick Creighton from ESPN Houston to talk about the Astros at 645. Eric Webb calling in at 710. It's just a lot going on as always. So uh, Ryan Moore is going to keep calling in as well as long as the Yankees are still going. So uh, so that we have a lot going on tonight. So I guess let's start with the football. Uh, I guess we're going to go Giants first in this situation. They finally got a win. We were all doing cartwheels. Um, there was a little bit of sigh of relief. Which brought up another question from my perspective, and I want to get your opinions first on it. Uh, we'll go Wendy first after I make the point. We were talking about it in the other room during the production meeting. I think the win against Denver started more questions than they did answer the questions that were already there. I think a win against this tough Broncos defense now opens the door saying, if they beat Seattle, can this team actually make a run? And I think that's a real question that has to be brought up now because that was a very, very good defensive team, the Denver Broncos are, and they've found a way to uh, sort of blow that game. Maybe they took the Giants too lightly, 
maybe they, you know, maybe the Giants just came in there and they're finally the team that we were expecting them to be all season came out without Odell Beckham, without Sterling Shepard, without Brandon Marshall, without Dwayne Harris. So now the question becomes, can this team make a run? Well, many attribute, or I told you I disagree with O'Sullivan taking over with offensive. I think McAdoo came out with an excuse when he said it's only because he wants to see both sides of the ball. He wants to coach, you know, everybody. So that's why he let O'Sullivan, which I think came from upper management above him, and they told him O'Sullivan's going to be making the calls. I don't listen to that nonsense. I don't listen to that. But just, you know, in, in the sense of McAdoo trying to, you know, get himself to where... This is why it's O'Sullivan's turn because you know he wants to run both sides. Do you want but me to pull up McAdoo's press conferences? You can listen you go to his. Do that. You, you go do you, that. You, I can pull up his press conferences, and you would be astounding on how much dumber you will feel after listening to his press conferences because he doesn't say anything. He doesn't say anything. Well, he did say that comment, though. He said that he wants... The reason why what he passed What do you it, expect him to say? But that's what I'm saying. Just so don't say anything, then. No, he, because he has to He has to talk to well, the media. the king of not saying you know, anything. Do you, okay. Do you, know who, you know who the king... The, 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 the three kings... Bill Belichick, one of them. The, no, the three He's kings... Just nasty. <laughs> Belichick... We're just on to Cincinnati. <laughs> uh, like, the three kings of being able to talk with the media and talk and say nothing, Derek Jeter... Eli Manning, Jason Kidd. Those three, I grew up watching, and I watched them face, you know, like I guess face-to-face, talk to the media and say nothing. It's the old expression, they'll let you on the patio, but they're never letting you in the house. They're talking to you because they have to talk with you, but they're not saying anything that's really important. All right, to move past that, <laughs> we can talk about <laughs> their defense. I mean, I looked at it. After two weeks ago, like it was Groundhog's Day, you know, you got the defense. Yeah, the defense was a little bit bad two weeks ago. But basically, you have the solid defense and the weak offensive line. So last week, again, we saw what the defense does, and they come through. Collins could have had the second pick, you know, when he took out Sanders. They moved over, as we were talking, Pew to the right side which did help it out. I think putting in Fluker because of John Jerry's injury, that also helped out. Uh, field goal kickers and field goal misses on the Broncos side. Yeah. That also. But I was talking to someone else, and I said, I just like, though, that I saw both sides of the spectrum putting in all that effort. They didn't give up. They didn't give up coming into that game. Like, we're 0-5. We can go 0-6, you know, as we talk going to the bye 0-7 if we lose to Seattle. Their running game to run over 100 yards, you know, with the best run-stop defense. The only thing I was talking about is that Ingram did so well, but now the other teams are just going to cover Ingram like they would Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, Shepard's going to be back, but you still got those guys who would be covering Odell Beckham Jr. and Marshall who are now just going to attack Ingram. Mm Mm-hmm. My my thing was when I was watching that game, and I was just really going to sit there and just watch the Giants get their butts kicked and then fall asleep. But I realized that the Broncos also played a pretty horrible game. Um, they, um, right, but ma- that's not fair. Don't don't say they. <laughs> well, no, I mean, like, the, I mean, don't give up. Let me finish. Let me finish. But like, pretty much the main positive to out of that is that Von Miller got like one. I'm pretty sure he got, like, one or two sacks. Only one of them was really when the game was, like, really still, like, up in the air. I mean, 
I, I, I almost forgot Von Miller was there for a while. I was, I was like having nightmares about Von Miller leading up to that game because of our offensive line, and it's almost just like he was, for the most part, neutralized. Like he had one sack, and then, it's, and then I think the rest of the time, like he was pretty quiet after that too. So are you giving us credit for it, or are you saying? No, he I'm not. I'm not. I'm not I mean, listen, I can't say that Von, Von Miller, like he can't have a bad game. Like I think that has to be credit to the Giants because okay. Von Miller is just he's a. He's I was going to say what he's, what he's going to do is he's going to discredit the Giants. <laughs> he's going to say that Denver had a bad game because he's hoping for a good draft pick instead of just giving the Giants credit. Well, Look, or, the, like, listen, let Orleans Darkwa have his day, man. You know? I mean, let him have his too. day. But you can't tell me that you that you weren't surprised by almost every positive p- aspect of that game. All right, we're about to shrink your head like they did. Like, okay, oh I, I was going to say I'm about ready to <laughs> I'm about ready to like James Con Kathy Bates your I mean, ass. I'm from, happy. I'm happy with from, you guys. From, I'm just like, saying like that. I mean. Like, well, I'm, I'm surprised that I mean I didn't expect Trevor Simeon to come and light it up either. Like, but like I also didn't expect him. He played pretty bad. I don't watch Trevor Simeon on a day on a and weekly basis. And then he basis. got taken out. And, he, and then he yeah he got hurt on the pick six. But he's also playing pretty bad. The interception to Collins was a horrible throw. Um, the interception to Jack Rabbit was also another terrible. I'm just saying like I get, I don't know if he plays like that every week, but he it was pretty bad. And then the fact that they were able to run that much was crazy. Like I thought the run defense has been stalling against lesser defenses, and now they choose the, the number one run defense in the league to explode like that. So okay. you're also discrediting our defense? No, I never said anything about the defense. I well, said the you tri- said oh, the I mean, Simeon's throws. Oh, oh yeah, they're they they so bad now- throws. A lot of picks are bad throws. Like, you know, good throws usually aren't picks. Right. I, I, I got to bring this point up. We were talking about the McAdoo stuff. Do you guys want to hear what I have to deal with when it comes to McAdoo? Sure. Okay. Here's here's McAdoo's press conference call on Monday after the uh, the game. Hold on one second. Here it is. Seen in practice all year. It, was, it was encouraging to see it uh, carry over to game day. That was a formula going into the ball game, and uh, give credit to the players and the coaches for uh, for bringing it to life. Defensively, uh, it started with stopping the run. Uh, gave up, I believe it was 46 yards. We created turnovers, and uh, had a score on defense. Held them to 10 po- uh, 10 points, and situationally, we played very well. Uh, whether it was third down, red zone, or goal line. Come on, we haven't done the, the QA that. part we yet. About Look. going in, and uh, it was great to see. Offensively, we started fast, uh, scored points on the first possession. Thought we uh, we played physical and delivered physical body blows in the run game. Had 148 yards rushing. Coming out in four-minute situations were, were huge in the ball game for us, and we came through. And we hit our uh, explosive target with percentage of plays and took care of the Duke, um, which certainly helps win in the turnover battle. Special teams. I uh, thought we showed it was important to us as an entire team. Uh, the punt team played with great effort. We knew they had a dynamic returner. I think one play was about 24 seconds in length. Uh, they got about seven-yard return on it, but uh, it showed uh, tremendous, uh, tremendous effort and energy there. Uh, we fielded the ball well uh, with our new returners and made good decisions. Our hands team came through at the end of the ball game as a very physical play. Uh, they did a nice job on the kick, and, and Roger Lewis did a good job fielding it, but we were physical on the uh, on our blocks there, giving them an opportunity to field the ball. Uh, Kerry Wynn had a field goal block with an assist by Grant, who did a nice job and was physical there. And Aldrich had a strong gator roll tackle uh, at the end of the ball game. With that, we'll open it up. Okay, here we go. This is what I'm talking about. Maybe we'll be. Okay. Ben, you talked about that this is the, this is the team you saw in practice. I, 
you know, I guess with the, with the personnel that you have now, uh, without the wide receivers, is this, are these the kind of games that you're going to have to win running the ball, you know, not really maybe focusing on, on throwing it to the wide receiver and, and relying on the defense? Oh, each game, uh, you know, each opponent provides a new challenge and a new week. Uh, so it just depends on how the week goes and what we think we have to do to give us the best chance to win the ball game. This goes what I'm saying. And okay. Can you talk a little bit about the offensive linemen who have had to shuffle positions uh, throughout the season because of injury? You know, specifically John and uh, and Justin. Yeah, John and uh, and Justin. They are, uh, you know, they're they're two pros. Uh, they're they're two guys that the team is the most important thing to them and they'll do whatever. We're gonna uh, do like one or two more questions, yeah. and then I'll again we'll we'll you know, the, switch gears. But. Take a, a, a big sit down for it to take place. It doesn't take an act of Congress for it to get done. Uh, they're willing to, to jump out and uh, play a new position uh, if it's for the best of the team and it gives us the best chance to win a ball game. And they, they put their head down, they go to work, and uh, it's much appreciated by the head coach. Last question. How did you think that group did? I mean, what's your what's your evaluation of the, the line, offensive line as a whole? I thought they played hard. I thought they played physical. Uh, I thought that, you know, that the defense that we went up against uh, last night is one of the better defenses and one of the best defenses in this league. And uh, playing them on the road on grass is a tremendous challenge. And um, Okay, i got to stop this because I just have to hey, bring up two things. So now you understand what I'm saying. Did he really say anything of importance there? No. Been asking those questions. Was there anything of merit there? We're going to get Ryan Moore, who's on hold right now, to to join in a second. But this is what I'm saying. So this is like a, just a, like a, a, an exercise or a giant exercise that we go through every single week, where he's not really saying anything that's important. Also very monotone. And um, yes. the other part of it too, which really bothered me, is where else would you be playing that on grass? So, <laughs> which brings up the question. Um, let's bring on Ryan Morick. Um, he's our, our Yankees and baseball insider. We're going to switch gears, go back to football in a little bit. Ryan, how are you tonight? Not too bad. What's going on with everyone over there? Uh, well, you just heard Ben McAdoo discuss. Uh, that was Monday's conference call. The conversation was that some of these guys are still very good at being able to say nothing while saying something. I, I got to say, uh, the comment with uh, John Jerry and Justin Pugh being pros, that's a pretty bold statement. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I nodded my head as he no said idea. that. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. But that's okay. I'm not supposed to, right? Or, yeah, they're professionals. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no so, idea. All right, so here's the question. Uh, tomorrow night, are we celebrating or preparing for a game celebrate? Game 7, I mean. Before yesterday, I said that the Astros are going to win game six, but this momentum and the fact that Justin Verlander has always struggled after his next start after throwing 120 plus pitches, it's hard to say that the Yankees are going to lose tomorrow. And on top of that, I mean, the Yankees aren't matching up with Luis Severino on the bump tomorrow for them. So momentum is definitely on the Yankee side. Their one job, get to the Astros bullpen. We've seen what the Yankees have done all series long against that bullpen. And if the Yankees hit Verlander early, which is highly possible, again, he has struggled in his outings following 120-plus pitches, then, yes, the Yankees are celebrating tomorrow in Houston. 
I, I agree. I'm not going to lie. It, it seems like you saw in the Cleveland series how like they might have been shut down. By I thought you were going to fight his point. I was waiting for no. him to be able to, to start rebelling no, against no, Ryan, no. and then Anthony just jumps in. He's like, no, no, I agree. No, no, <laughs> I agree. No, no, I agree. No, no, I, why, why would I have the Yankees hat on right now? You know, I, 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 well, I understand, but you could play devil's advocate. No, you could no. be the guy who's just like, you know, but this, I, is, but I this was, is my main concern. Well, I, I wasn't. Here's the devil's advocate, guys. Luis Severino might not be 100% healthy. And yeah. another devil's advocate is Maybe the home crowd does get to them. I mean, you heard the Astros players saying that New York was the loudest stadium they had ever heard. And from my experience going to game four, it's the absolute truth. But the Astros are going to play indoors tomorrow. So that crowd noise is only going to bump up a little bit. And what we saw in the first few games of the division series, and the first two games in this series, everyone tried to play hero. And that could happen again. So... If there's a mixture of everyone trying to play hero and swinging for the fences and Luis Severino not all there in physically with his health, that's the devil's advocate. But I just don't see that happening small. My, my, my devil's advocate in the earlier in the season was that the Yankees' uh, starting rotation wasn't like elite and that they never really hit well with running the scoring position. Now those two things seem to be really clicking, so that my main concerns are now not solved, but like they're they're performing much better in those aspects. Uh, what I what I was gonna say was that like if you saw in the Cleveland series, like they might have been shut down by the ace and then the number two pitcher, but then when they came back around, it's almost like they like rapidly figured them out, and then they punished and they punished Kluber the second time around, um, and then and then uh, coming around for the. For the for the Astros, it's come, it's like you know they came and they they shut down their ace again, and I don't know. I just feel like they have like they're like rapidly adapting to the ace. So like, but the second time they come around, it's not really an issue anymore. And then when the runners are in scoring position, they're really making them pay for it. Like you saw yesterday, they got they got on um they got on them early and they just kept it going. And then Tanaka was like lights out, and Sunny Gray pitched well, CC pitched well. It's just like. What my main two concerns are are not really too much of an issue right now. Yeah, they're in, they're in Houston again, which is concerning, but home yeah, field advantage only plays a certain amount. I agree with Ryan about momentum. I think momentum is especially in baseball. I, I always tell this story again, Anthony. You're twenty one. Yes. So two thousand six. Two thousand six. You're ten. Okay. The Yankees played Detroit in the first round. Ryan, you remember this series, correct? Yes, I do. Okay, they destroyed Detroit in Game One. They had a rainout in Game Two, and I felt I actually felt the momentum die with the rainout, and they lose Game Two, lose Game Three, lose Game Four. Series over because the momentum that Detroit gained was you know they gained it from New York. Now does this like obviously does an off day hurt them right now, Ryan? I mean, th- th- that's a really good question, but. The, the off day scheduled, so you can. I get the argument, but I think the Yankees' emotions in that series are running so high heading into that day, and then to find out that it was a rainout. I mean, it's it's kind of two separate situations. But they had an off day heading into Yankee Stadium before Game Three. That didn't seem to stop them. So in this case, no, I don't think the off day is going to stop them. I think at this point, the off day can only help them. You could say that for the Astros, too. They've had a tough three days, mentally, physically, on the field. They've had a very tough three days. But you know what? I think the Yankees are kind of beat up, too. I mean, their emotions are running just as high, if not higher, than the Astros right now. This is, this is a, a good break for them. And 
you can say it with on the field as well. Their bullpen has been lights out. There's nothing bad about taking a break. And I think when I was on the New York, when I did the New York Groove, I was talking about which, by the way, exclusively heard on BackSportsPage.com. Go ahead. Yes, sir. <laughs> but I think I was talking to someone about rest versus rust. I don't really buy into either argument because you always want rest, but muscle memory kicks in in baseball. So the off day today, I, I don't think it's an advantage toward if, – if anyone, it might be an advantage toward the Astros just so they can get a mental off day, but I don't think it would be anything severe. Here's my perspective. Um, I think games one and two, when they went off on the Yankees afterwards, you saw that Yankees had more hits in the one. I think the one that uh, Verlander pitched. And they lost by two runs. They lost by one run. Uh, Then they hit eight runs, six runs, five runs. I think the entire momentum switched in game four when there was a pitching change. Now, you say the, uh, you know, the bullpen is favoring for the Yankees. I mean, their bullpen isn't great at all. So to whomever they play, once the Astros start to go into their bullpen, it's not good. So to me, with the fact of people calling out Judge after the first two games, he should be fifth on the you know hitting list and all of that, that got to him. All of a sudden, they start cracking the bats that you knew they could. It was just we didn't go into the season thinking they would go this far. And with that game... Their momentum is driving them, especially when Judge got called out. Now he's doing what he's doing. It doesn't matter that there's a day off. And honestly, they have their best pitching, the Astros. And I think the Yankees, if the Yankees can hold them to get him to keep pitching more and more pitches, he'll be taken out early. They'll go to the bullpen, and I think the Yankees will win it. Yeah. No, uh, Wendy, oh, that's a great point. I mean, the fact that you brought up Aaron Judge, it's obvious. And this is. All credit to Aaron Judge. But you said Aaron Judge, all rise. <laughs> all, all rise. <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, the fact that these comments by fans, whether, I mean, the comments are asinine, but Aaron Judge obviously struggled. Nothing gets to him, and nothing gets to Gary Sanchez, and nothing gets to Luis. Nothing gets to these guys. And Look Sanchez was another one to come through. Yeah, I mean, look at all of the negatives that these guys have had to face. Down to nothing last series. Down to nothing this series. They went from being a first-place team to looking like one of the worst teams in baseball right around the All-Star break. And they've had a lot of negatives this year, and they've come back and fought from every single one of them. Nothing phases these guys, which is very telling for now it's very telling for the future which i'm not worried about because again they're one win away so i can worry about the future when it's over but seriously (laughs) the fact that nothing bothers these guys and they play in the biggest market and aaron judge is the biggest story of the baseball season that is very very telling they don't get rattled by anything and we saw the astros we saw how we saw what they said about yankee stadium they were rattled, and the Yankees are not, which is, again, very telling. Well, not only that, but I also think because I'm being serious now. I've been joking around a lot so far since we've been on the air. In fact, Wendy and, and, you're, a, it, and you're a funny guy. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I, uh, the, the, the 7 o'clock show is different from the 10 o'clock show. Try the veal. <laughs> Try the veal. Um, so, like, here's the one thing that's very, uh, very telling, too. 
is I'm not buying that Houston can put these runs on the board like the Yankees are. Okay? Like, if Judge and Sanchez are hitting and the Yankees are putting these runs on the board, like, you know, four, five, six runs, I'm not convinced Houston can do that. And that's exactly what I felt over it. You know, I was watching them at Yankee Stadium, uh, you know, when the Yankees are home. Like, you were, listen, you were there. You were at game four. You were, you know, for those who who want to see one of the funniest videos ever in Ryan Morick history, go to his Facebook page, watch the video of of Judge hitting uh, the, the, the double. Good quality, right? <laughs> yeah, real quality. Oh, well, it was hard to watch. It. I almost got, like, you know, nauseous because well, you're yeah, jumping up and down, and all of a sudden you just see the camera just going like this. But, you know, but like, the, the, simple, the simplicity of it is what it really is going to come down is if the Yankees can hit in Houston. That's what's going to come down to. I agree. I mean, a lot of people say pitching is the name of the game. Agreed to an extent. What happened with the Indians? Francisco Lindor doesn't hit. Jose Ramirez doesn't hit. Probably the two best players on the Indians. And what happens? They choke. They lose the two nothing lead. Yankees win. See, I don't know if it's ha- choking though. I I think maybe like the players go yeah, through slumps. Choking, was, yeah, choking is a harsh word there, but I mean, but let them just the fact that they blew the lead in general. That's enough. And the fact that the last three games in Yankee Stadium, Jose Altuve doesn't have a hit. He's all for his last nine. I mean, I think I think Altuve is the only person on the Astros hitting over 300 in this series, and that's only because he went five for seven in the first two games. So while pitching is the name of the game and the Yankees pitching has been absolutely outstanding, let me know when someone wins by scoring zero runs. It's never happened. I mean, in terms in terms of like the home field advantage, like like I said, like the two games in uh, Houston, like they lost by one run or two runs, and you know the crowd's gonna be you know going crazy, the indoor, which I think is cheating because and it may makes the sound louder or whatever. But uh, I mean, uh, listen, Verlander could have. I've missed you. Verlander <laughs> <laughs> could have two like two one to three innings. All it takes is like, one swing of the bat. If someone cracks a home run off of Verlander, then that crowd is silent, and then that's that's out the window. So then you. And that's see. what happened in Game Five against Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Okay, the Yankees got on the yeah, board the Yankees, first. The Yankees won the series in Cleveland. Yeah, they so, like, don't forget that. Yeah. So the thing, like, about, the thing about tomorrow is, I feel like the Astros crowd won't be too much in it until something happens, which is why if you're the Yankees, you gotta attack early and get the crowd out of it because once the Astros take the lead, they won't stop. Well, they'll have not the biggest disadvantage because, like Giants fans, the Yankees fans are at every ballpark. They seem to travel in clans or yeah, something. Well, so you always. Uh, I I wonder how many real like obviously there's scalpers and so on and so forth, but how many like Houston Astro fans are coming to Yankee Stadium in July? You know what I mean? Like Yankee fans are, are everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, like it's it's like it's almost like Cowboy fans and Giants, Giants fans. They're everywhere. You know what I mean? They're they're everywhere. It's it's. It's like a bad disease. It's one of those things where just it travels, and it's one. Of <laughs> well, Astros fans did show the Yankee Stadium, and they got beer poured on them. So, I well, mean, we don't <laughs> want to talk about the Browns being bad. Get me started on that. I mean, I understand emotions are running high, but the fact that people were throwing food and clothes—I mean, come on, really? You, you got to shoot to that level. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, you know, people get like I, I don't like that. Just to be clear, I, I, I don't like that at all. But I'm just saying, like. I, 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 understand what you, I understand what you guys are saying. Wasn't it two people years ago? Wasn't it two years ago with the beer bottles they were throwing? Jeez. Well, yeah. Yeah. 
in Toronto. Yeah, and, and they did the same exact thing. They, they had to stop. When I was at the game, in game on Tuesday night, guys, Lance McCullers was walking out of the bullpen. Someone no more than 20 feet away from me threw his entire cup of full of beer. I mean, he missed them by, a, by 30, 40 feet because we were way upstairs. But come on, like, root for your team. I, I understand heckling. I understand all that, but... No that was because it was a Mets fan. Well, I was about to say it, it, it was a Mets fan. Yeah. I think the worst thing I've ever <laughs> the worst thing I've ever seen in that type of situation was the the the, the, the brawl in the palace. You remember when Ron Artest jumped into the oh. crowd? Yep. And uh, he was just going. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden, like they're showing the camera that like it's like the ESPN camera, and the Pacers go into the locker room. And I, if you did not, if you were a Pacer that did not smell like some sort of alcoholic beverage as you were walking to the locker oh, room, that was scary. That was that was the I think that might have been the worst incident I've ever seen at a sport a sporting event there, to this yeah. day. Wasn't there there wasn't there a fight in uh, at game four? Ryan, were you, were you at game four? Wasn't there like a fight? I thought I saw a video. Like Probably. A, Probably. <laughs> I mean, uh, look, I, I'm not gonna lie. I had a couple drinks before. The uh, game. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So <laughs> before before I, mean, before I, 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 I understand emotions running high, but the fact that some people can get to that level uh, to me, it's unacceptable. Well, Ryan, I'm going to become a hypocrite right now, and Go I'm ahead. going. To, I want to bring this topic up to you because we just had like in our little production meeting before we started the show tonight. I'm sitting there saying I don't listen to anything that comes out on Twitter. I don't really listen to any of this stuff that people are talking about because I think it's all nonsense. I don't want to waste my in, time with in, it. In, in terms of what? Just in general, because how many times have you listened to sports radio or watched you know ESPN and stuff like this, and like Sports Center is talking about a tweet? Or something that really, at the end of the day, doesn't really involve anything that's important whatsoever. But it's just something we talk about. But because you are a Yankee fan, and because I know your Yankee fandom is, matches your professionalism as well, did you see the Boston Red Sox tweet that the Yankees responded to? <laughs> the, the Dave Roberts one? That was no. Yeah, which was, it's, 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 it's like a holiday. And the, the way, post it record, now. I cannot, I, to this day, I cannot watch the last five minutes of Fever Pitch. You guys know that movie with Jimmy, yeah. Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore. Yeah. I cannot watch the last five minutes. Can't do it. I just found that that tweet, and I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna post it right now on my Facebook page for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. That uh, it says Red Sox Red Sox post today. It says today is basically a holiday, and the, re- the Yankees respond with. Ah, workday for us. Game time is at five oh eight. If you're not too busy, so <laughs> that, that was that was that was funny. Yeah, that that's funny. that's amazing. Ryan, where can everybody find you, real quick? Um, follow me at Ryan Morg on Twitter and Instagram. A new episode of the New York Groove just got posted on the SoundCloud and Backsports page. Um, the, the other day, we'll be recording again tomorrow. It'll be posted online tomorrow, right before Game Six, with Louis Severino and. Uh, Justin Verlander on the bump tomorrow so tomorrow's going to be a really good episode so make sure you guys check it out alright Ryan thanks very much for giving us a few minutes tonight see you Ryan Randy, Anthony, Wendy thanks a lot take care love bye bye what makes it even better about talking with the Yankees is your New York accent. I know we keep we, stop, uh, we keep stop, we keep talking Tell about everybody. It. I like, went to school and I got the certificate. No. Wait, I won the award. When you started talking about Patrick Ewing back in the day, <laughs> I, was, I was like, wow, man, that's that's as real as it gets. Well, okay, so really quickly, that uh, portion of the show is brought to our, our good friends over at Level One Games in Pompton Plains, New Jersey, six fifteen Route twenty three South, Pompton Plains, New Jersey. That is. Feel free to give them a call right now, 862-248-0456, or check them out at www.level1games.com. 
Relive your past with such great game systems as Nintendo, the original Sega. 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 That's right. We had Sega. Before Sega, Sega Genesis. That's before Sega. Sega Genesis. We have the original Xbox, all the way up to the new games they have today for all the updated systems. And of course, they are your Magic and Pokemon Card headquarters. Go there now. That's Level One Games, Route Twenty Three South, Pompton Plains, New Jersey eight six two two four eight zero four five six. That's www.levelonegames.com. Take your game to the next level. All right. So coming up at six forty five, we have Patrick Creighton. He's calling in from Houston, Texas. He he's with ESPN Houston, and I got to tell you, we we got the Yankee perspective from our own. We're going to get a an Astro perspective. I have to be fair. There you, go. you know what I mean. And so we'll grill him. He but to his credit, he's a New Yorker. He started up up here, and we moved down there. He's he's a good guy. You guys will like talking with him. He's pretty awesome. We also have Eric Webb coming in at at, uh, at six. I'm sorry, at seven ten. We also have Gary Aid, a uh, good friend of ours for Back Sports Page. We're going to talk a lot of NBA coming up in the seven o'clock hour. Anthony will be departing from us, so I think let's really quickly go back to the NFL, make our picks before uh, Patrick comes on with us before and we, before we get really too in depth with it. Anthony's in charge of uh, making sure that these are enforced. Um, if it basically, if we try to change our picks, it's pretty much like breaking the law. We're not going to really go that route. Um, I don't want to have to bail Anthony out for for lying. <laughs> so that's just the way we are right now. That's how we that's how we do things here at Off Topic. We make sure we fulfill our word and our destiny of NFL football picks. I don't know really what I'm saying there. I was just waiting for the computer to load. All right, so let's run through the games tonight. CBS. Uh, wow, tonight's a CBS game, huh? Uh, Thursday Night Football goes CVS, not a, not a NFL uh, network. Yeah, no, it's Kansas City and Oakland. No, KC uh, Oakland. KC Oakland, which I think that might be one of the games that we have to pick uh, pick with. Uh, then we have ha- Atlanta, New England, KC, Oakland, and... Well, we, we have Tampa Bay and Buffalo, which is turning out to be a very interesting game. Oh, no, no, Tampa's... Uh, Tampa lost James Winston, Not, right? Yeah, and if he comes back, he's still shaky. So uh, they're uh, off in uh, this I, don't, I want nothing to do with that game. I want nothing to do with that game because I don't trust Buffalo either. Um, Arizona and the Rams, that's uh, two games that are, you know, two teams that are playing decent. Uh, oh, God, keep me away from Jacksonville and Indianapolis. Um, <laughs> the Jets in Miami. Yeah. Um, Carolina and Chicago, that doesn't no. look like it's fun whatsoever. Yeah, Baltimore and Minnesota, I, that should be an interesting game. But Baltimore, is it me or is Baltimore the last two seasons? They're, they're winning games, obviously, they're against really bad teams, but the, when the big games are coming around, they just look terrible. They're pretty flat. And not only that, but Flacco, Flacco's career now is starting to mirror Eli Manning's. Remember when Eli got into that rough patch of not having a really good offensive line and he struggled? That's what Flacco's going through right now. He's going through his misprones. He's definitely mistake-prone right now. Oh, God, Definitely, yeah. without a when doubt. When you only have four touchdowns and eight interceptions and you're a Super Bowl MVP, what is going on with Flacco? That, the Ravens, though, they're inconsistent offense. Mm-hmm. The defense is banged up. Not a fan. Not a fan. Uh, then you have New Orleans and Green Bay. Now that Aaron Rodgers is not there, it's just not much of a conversation. Bad and Cook. Oh, God, this Tennessee-Cleveland game. Anyone who watches that must be drinking heavily. Um, <laughs> then you have Dallas and San Francisco. Uh, then you all, uh, Cincinnati and Pittsburgh. Denver and the Chargers. That, that might be interesting. Uh, I'll be subjected to Giants and Seahawks on Saturday, on Sunday. I mean, uh, Atlanta, New England, which is one of the games you were talking about, and then mm-hmm. obviously Philly and Washington. So I think we should go Philly, Washington, mm-hmm. Atlanta, New England, mm-hmm. and Giants. Um, what else? Do you got, uh, Anthony, pick another game. Uh, I had KC Oakland. Okay, so we'll do KC Oakland and one, and one more. Uh, let's do the Giants. Just 
All right, yeah, let's do the Giants. Let's do the whole shebang, shebang. We'll do the whole shebang, shebang. Pa- uh, Pat- Patrick Creighton coming up literally in a minute. Uh, real quick, so let's just go through the picks real quick because uh, I don't want to keep Patrick too long. You know, he's a very important person down in Houston. Uh, I'm going to go KC just because they're 6-1. and one. I, don't, I just don't trust Derek Carr. I think they won some games last year. They probably shouldn't have won. And I just think KC is the real deal right now. So I'm going KC. Go across the board. Wendy? They're coming off their most physical game, the... And because they're coming off a physical, emotional game with the Steelers. I just have Casey. They look great. Um, they have the better defense, the better offensive lines, and those two factors can make the difference. It will be a close game, though. I got I got 23-20. Okay. I got Casey as well. All right. Awesome. Next game. Ant, what we got? Uh, New England versus Atlanta. Um, both teams struggling. Both teams are not um, playing what we like to call Super Bowl caliber. Atlanta, I just don't. I just don't trust Atlanta, so I, I go New England. Uh, it's gonna be a close game. I don't, you know me. I don't give scores. I just pick New England over Atlanta. I got the Pats over the Falcons, but you know, Patriots is decimated in their defense. And I just feel like I was telling you before, Atlanta will have it. They'll have, it, and they almost give up to me in their mind. I think that New England, they just have Tom Brady because other than that, they match up pretty well. I pick Atlanta because I think it's going to be a shootout, and I think Atlanta eventually wins that. Okay, no problem. Next game. Uh, Philadelphia-Washington. I trust Carson Wentz more than I trust uh, Kirk Cousins. Don't you hate these games when you got to pick? Oh, it's like kissing kissing your sister. It's like like the worst thing in the world. For anybody who's really like well, kissed their Angelina Jolie, yeah, I'm about to say it matters who your sister is, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it matters what kind of movie it is either. Also, but so with that being said, I, I just I trust Carson Wentz more than I trust uh, Kirk Cousins. It's just the way I feel. I don't know. I just pick Philly over Washington. Plus, they're home too. So toss up games. I always go with the home team. It'll be huge. Uh, they lost the Redskins. Lost the opener. So and they lost them by two touchdowns. So the defense is doing nothing. Uh, the Eagles' defense front is special. I got the Eagles over the red. And again, I hate picking these. I really do. I told you, it's, I it, did, it is I the just, worst feeling at the world. To even look up stats and facts to pick. I'm going to go out of like my this. way not to watch this game on Monday. Okay, I'm with you. Let's okay. we'll just chit chat about oh, uh, My Little Pony or something. <laughs> What the hell is my... The, oh, come on, you got a nephew, Bob the Builder. You have a nephew, I have a niece and nephew. All right, all right, do right. something New like York that. versus Seattle. All right. uh, I'm going to pick the Giants just because I just think there, it was like light going on, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, we can do this type of thing. And uh, I, Seattle's offensive line is like Swiss cheese. I have a feeling that we're going to be able... There, well, I would say weird, but I have a feeling they're going to be able to get to Russell Wilson and take him down a little bit. And if the Giants can control the offense against... Uh, Denver's defensive line, I think that they'll be able to handle Seattle's offense, uh, defensive line. So I'm going to go Giants uh, over Seattle. And then this might this might be the game that uh, turns the season around for them. And, you know, hopefully hopefully will. Maybe the Giants can make a real run here. We'll see. And you're right on the way. We are the 12th player, okay? Uh, so we are part of the team. I'm not uh, part of anything. How many Jews do you know that play football? Oh, Jay uh, Bowitsky, who's on the Giants practice squad, the offensive lineman. There's a reason why he's on the practice squad. That, which <laughs> I still don't understand. Let's right. pick somebody else up. All right, well. But I got the Giants. Both their teams have the same uh, struggling offensive line. It's going to come down to the defense. The defense looked great yes, uh, last week with the Giants. Uh, now the Giants are playing the two tight end slots. So I just find it. Giants are uh, home. 
I a lot of the land. Jews are the agents. I just want to go on record and say uh, that. That's right. why they're the most wealthy out of all sports. Yeah, okay. Anything we got over there, buddy? I got Seattle. There's oh. a little reverse psychology. Hopefully, okay. Okay. The Giants win. You'll be that guy. All right. So let's jump back really quick to baseball. Let's welcome our good friend from down in Houston, Texas, uh, Patrick Creighton. Patrick, how are you doing tonight, buddy? What's up, Randy? How are you? It's good to see that I haven't lost my sense of humor, huh? Well, what are you talking about? Well, you're going to be a sports agent. Yeah, you know, I know. I guess. You know, I'm just making the simple, valid point is there's not many Jewish football players out there. Like Jeff Schwartz, you know, there's not many of those out there. You need me to make a call to Lee Steinberg get you looked up? <laughs> hey, listen, he has a better chance writing on his resume that he's a Jew to get the... Uh... My, my brother wanted to play football. My mother said if you I can name... I believe that proper terminology is Israeli-American. No. <laughs> Israeli-American. Listen, my brother wanted to play football. My mother says if you can name six Jewish football players you can play, he couldn't name one. He's, she goes, good, get back, in the, get back in the stands again with the band. You're good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so listen, let's, let's jump into this. We just had Ryan Morick on. He's our Yankee. Insider, you're down there. You're with you. You cover the Astros. You cover everything Houston down there. What happened in these three games, and what do we expect for Game Six? Well, what happened in the three games? The Astros left their bats at home. Actually, if you go back to it, they really haven't hit all series. Uh, you know, Jose Altuve, who's the you know the batting champ, <laughs> multiple time batting champ, he went over the Bronx. Uh, Josh Reddick went has gone O for the series. Now Josh Reddick hasn't gone five games in a row without a hit in four years. So uh, they just left their bats at home. They've picked a really bad time for a cold streak, and you know the Yankees have pitched well. Tanaka's on a hot streak. Tanaka became only the third Yankee in history to have uh, multiple outings of at least seven innings and no earned runs. So you know, and and when you think Tanaka just joined Roger Clemens and Whitey Ford in that group. That, that's a nice company, but the Astros just haven't hit. And the tightness that has come with not hitting has led to defensive miscues, some obvious, like Cameron Maven pulling up four feet short of a fly ball for what we really just is no reason. And some are subtle, like Jose Altuve taking a throw on the wrong side of the bag. So they've, they've just they've made mistakes. Uh, in the field, they're not hitting. Their frustration is overloading. And when the Yankees finally got a postseason run off of Dallas Keuchel yesterday, the Astros players looked like a group of guys who just wanted to get the hell out of the Bronx back to Houston. Now you're down there. Um, you've been to Minute Maid Park. Talk about you, you. Obviously, you've been up here in New York. You're a New Yorker. You grew up up here as well. Difference between going to Minute Maid Park and Yankee Stadium. Minute Maid is nowhere near as, as rowdy or raucous as Yankee Stadium. There is no comparison to the bleacher creatures uh, at, at Minute Maid Park. At Minute Maid, the roof will be closed, so it'll be louder because the roof will be closed. But realistically, it's it's not as loud. It's not as raucous. Uh, it's just it, Houston is a is not as boisterous a crowd as New York is, really for any sport. It's just personality of the city. They're just, they're not as as loud and aggressive and boisterous as New Yorkers are. But it should be loud. It'll be a full house. Uh, full house at Minute Maid is about 44,000. So it'll be it'll be a good environment for, for the Astros. And, and they need to get back to some home cooking. And, you know, look, the Yankees are not the same team on the road that they are at home. 
at home in the postseason. They're five and zero. They're scoring almost six runs a game. Their ERA is under one seven. On the road, they're one and four. They're only scoring three runs a game, and their ERA is double what it is at home. So they they have been a a team that is look they're they're built for their stadium, and you know the Astros will will hopefully be able to take advantage of that. Uh, it also doesn't hurt to have Justin Verlander on the hill because since he came to the Astros, all he's done is win. He's eight zero as an Astro, so having him on the mound in your building, they got to win two games in a row. But if you got to win two games in a row, you might as well have him in your building, and you might as well have your horse on the hill for the first. Well, one thing I'll give Houston is uh, picking up Verland at the very last. Like I think they said he picked him up with like 15 seconds to go yeah, before yeah. the deadline or something. But I just got a question because the first two games in Houston, I mean, you had Headley who was inches away from a two-run home run. Okay, then you had the game that ended in a tenth, you know, by the plate. Uh, Bird was caught out at the plate. You know, so it's not to me like the Yankees all of a sudden, you know, are proving themselves to the Astros. I didn't see the Astros doing dominating so much while they were home. The Yankees could have easily won either of those games. This wasn't an eight nothing, you know, situation like the Yankees did or five nothing last night, where it's like, woe is me. Those two first games yeah, Verlander pitched better, but again, I talked about Yankees had hits in that game. And again, Headley, almost a two-run shot. It would be a total difference situation, and the series may be done right now. No, look, I was almost an major leaguer, but, you know. Hey, no, I <laughs> and I was almost 5'8", but I stopped at like 4'11". I have no almost. I'm pretty much I am who I am. <laughs> No, no, but, you know, on a serious note... These are two teams, look, this was never, and I don't think anybody who really, you know, knows anything about baseball thought that one of these teams was drastically better than the other. You know, they're separated by 10 games in the win column, but all the peripherals, all, all, all the markers, the indicators, show that these two teams are very, very close. They're 1-2 in, in run scored. They were 1-2 in run differential. Mm-hmm. You know, well... Uh, well, rep, well, actually, they were 2-3 in run differential because the Indians had that ridiculous run at the end of the year. You saw how far that got them. Uh, but they they had the, that run differential. The, the Astros and the Yankees had the same run differential. The difference was the Astros outscored the Yankees by 38 runs, and the Yankees gave up 38 fewer runs. So uh, these, these are two teams that were very evenly matched. The Astros had a little bit of advantage in the starting rotation because they're top-heavy. The uh, Yankees have a, a better bullpen, and both teams can rake at the plate. So, you know, in the first two games, neither team really hit. The Astros, you know, probably a little better at the small ball and were able to scratch across one extra run. The Astros generally play very good defense. Uh, we didn't see so much of that in the Bronx, but generally they play very good defense, and the Yankees ran themselves out of some innings. You know, the Yankees made some dumb plays on the base paths in Houston that got them out of innings. I, I think so, our, our definitions of top-heavy are a little different. Um, listen, I'm going to be honest with you, um, Pat, and I'm sorry to the cut out, but it really comes down to also, and you know this too, uh, being in this business for as long as you have, sports sometimes, it doesn't matter if you're the better team or you have the better lineup, it's about momentum. Mm-hmm. And the Yankees have scary momentum right now. And I asked Ryan before, does like this little travel day come at the worst time for them? <laughs> momentum in baseball is the next day's pitcher. So you can have all the momentum in the world. When Justin Verlander comes up there and puts it 98 miles an hour under your chin, 
talk about your momentum then. Momentum is in, in within a game. I believe in baseball momentum. When it comes to the next day, especially when there's a day off and you got to go face somebody's ace, well, your momentum just went out the window when that guy starts punching guys out. You know, the the Astros are unbeaten at home. The Yankees are unbeaten at home. We'll see how much of it comes through. At the end of the day, in baseball, it's a really long season, and the best team doesn't always win because the hottest team wins. Right now, the Yankees are hotter than the Astros. The Yankees came into the series where Aaron Judge and Greg Bird and Gary Sanchez couldn't hit a freaking beach ball. Mm -hmm. All right? And then in game three, they started to get a couple of hits, and now they're on fire. And right now, George Springer's got one freaking hit, and Reddick's got none, and Altuve just went 0 for the Bronx. All right? And, you know, Marvin Gonzalez just got his first two hits to the series. So nobody on the Astros is hitting. It only takes you know, one or two innings for all that to change. You know, can the Astros find their bats? That's really all it is. Can the Astros find their bats? Because the pitching matchup for Game 6 is going to favor the Astros. The pitching matchup for Game 7, who freaking knows? Because Game 7, all bets are off. That That is the great thing about Game 7. It doesn't matter who you have on the map. The pressure of Game 7 changes the entire universe, and it doesn't matter which side you're on or which team is home. Agreed. And before we uh, let you go, Pat, let's talk a quick, uh, go quickly into the NBA. You're down in Houston, the two two and zero Houston Rockets. What a win on opening night against the Warriors. Um, I'm a firm believer of a complete lineup in the NBA, and I'm not sold on um, on Houston because it looks like they're a little thin in the front court. And we were saying before, I don't. I'll let Nene take as many open shots and as many shots to the lane as he wants. He just doesn't scare me enough. What's the general feeling about the Houston Rockets down there right now? Are they looking at this as a possible championship contender, or are they still, do you feel like, a one-piece-away type of team? Honestly, I still think they're a piece away, but I don't think that piece was obtainable for them this offseason. Having Harden and Paul and Eric Gordon, they've got three guys who can run the team, distribute the ball, hit threes, drive the lane. Uh, one of them is an excellent defender. And, you know, they're, they're going to be a better team this year than they were last year. Now, how much of that shows up in the win column, I don't really know because Chris Paul's already got a bum knee and he was dragging it around uh, in, in game one up there in, uh, in San Francisco. And everybody looks at the box score and says, man, Chris Paul, man, he was terrible. He shot two and nine. Well, to give you the actual true impact of Chris Paul in that game, beginning of the fourth quarter, James Harden's on the bench, and the Rockets are down 13. With Chris Paul and his one leg running the offense, all right, they cut that lead from 13 to 5 when James got back in the game. At no point last year would that ever have happened. And that's because Chris Paul was on the floor hitting a step-back jumper and hitting out four dimes and getting... Chris Paul gets the ball to guys where they need it. And he will make the other players better. He makes them more efficient. The Rockets are already one of the most efficient offenses in the league. Now you add Chris Paul to that, they're going to be an incredibly efficient offensive team. They'll play a little bit better defense because Chris is a better defender than anybody else they have in the backcourt. But, you know, for, for all the, well, the Rockets don't have a great front court. Well, the Rockets run. 
So, you know, you saw, you know, last night in Sacramento, you saw where Capella is going to eat. He's going to eat a lot this year because every time they set a high screen, both defenders stay up top because everybody's afraid of the rocket shooting threes. Capella's wide open. There's nobody within 10 feet of the lane. And he, he literally gets to pick up a bounce pass up, take two steps and flush it home. There's nobody around. He's going to eat like that all, all, all year. Nene, for you know all his the fact that he's a thousand years old, he's a good offensive player, and he'll give them you know ten points in his fourteen minutes a night and be a very effective player for them. You know, Ryan Anderson is is hit and miss. We know that Trevor Ariza is hit and miss, but when he hits, he can hit a lot of threes, and he's still a very good defensive player. So uh, the Rockets are going to be a guard a guard oriented team. They've been a guard oriented team. That's not going to change, and they're still going to win 55, 56 games. You know, can they beat Golden State in a seven-game series? Probably not, but they got a better shot at it this year than they did last year. And when you already hear Chris Paul talking about, you know, how with Harden and Gordon on the team, he doesn't have to stay on the floor when he's hurting. In L.A., he had to. There was nobody to, to, to pick up the slack. Now he's got Harden who can handle the ball. He's got Gordon who can handle the ball. He can play through it as far as he wants, but when he needs to take a break or when he can't play through it, he doesn't have to force himself out there. Chris Paul is happy. To me, that makes a big difference in how a guy plays. So I think the Rockets will be a very good team. They might be the second-best team in the West. Uh, the Golden State is still going to be number one, but they're closer to the Warriors than they were a year ago. Pat, let everybody know where they can find you. All right, well, uh, I host uh, the Nate and Crate Show on Sports Map 94.1 FM, uh, Monday to Friday, 1 to 3 Eastern, two to, uh, 1 to 3 Central, 2 to 4 Eastern. Uh, you can get it online, sportsmap941.com, or on the Sports Map 94.1 app. Uh, I also host the Sunday night's NFL show on SB Nation National Radio Network, which you can get uh, on the SB Nation radio app or SBNationLive.com. You can follow me on Twitter at P. Creighton 1. Thanks for uh, calling in, man. We miss you up here, man. Wish you uh, can get your butt back up here. Well, I'll be up there in, hopefully in a, another month or so. All right, man. Well, listen, when you do, uh, first beer's on uh, on Wendy. With, cool. right, listen, with figure, Randy's figure. credit card. Yeah. Hey, listen, I don't care how you pay for it. That's fine by me. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, man. We really appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Take care. Later. Always good to have Pat on. We miss him. He's always a good dude. All right, let's let's jump over to uh, the line. Our good friend Gary Aid. Gary's. Uh, I, I'll tell you. I think when it comes to NBA, I think I'm going to start relying on him. I think that I'm an NBA genius. Usually, Gary, Gary always seems to. Uh, Gary always seems to just jump in here and sort of try and teach me a lesson. Gary, what's going on, brother? Hey, Randy. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on today. Uh, no problem. So, do we want to do the plugging first? Do we want to talk hoops first? What do you want to do first? We have a, we have a, we have a, we have a lot to do. Have a lot to do. Let's get to it. Let's talk about basketball. All right, let's talk a little NBA. Let's talk a little NBA hoops, and I'm not talking about the trading cards they used to sell called NBA hoops. So let's talk <laughs> about let's talk about like the actual game. So here's what I've learned in the first part of the season, <laughs> in the first couple days of the season. One, the, the Celtics are not going to be the team that we thought they were going to be uh, due to injuries. Um, you and I have had this conversation before. This was I didn't think this was going to be the Celtics' years to start anyway. I thought Cleveland was just a little too deep. 
But now with Gordon Hayward going down, uh, you know, seeing that message he did from the hospital and everything, it's it, it's a sad story. But at the end of the day, the, the, the league is still going to go on. They're still going to generate money. What does this do in the Eastern Conference? Does Celtics Are the Celtics still the clear-cut number two, or does Washington surpass them? What does this do at this point in the Eastern Conference? Well, i got to say, Randy, I was never convinced, staring with you, that Boston was going to be that second-best team anyway, not because I didn't think they were impressive. What they did in the playoffs last year, Sam's Isaiah Thomas, was nothing short of amazing, and I, I do think that, Brad Stevens is the best coach not named Greg Popovich in the NBA already at his young age. I think very highly of him, and I think very highly of the non-star contributors that were just so competitive and so driven in the series against Cleveland last year. Mainly I'm talking about um, Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown. And then, of course, A.B. Bradley is no longer there, but those two young guys in particular just impressed the heck out of me last season, and I they're both still there. They're both a year older, a year more seasoned, and I think that they are going to be a competitive, tough out for anybody. Now, that said, I think Washington is probably the most under-respected great team in the NBA. I think there's an excellent chance if Dwayne Wade's knees are a little too bulky, if Derrick Rose's knees are still made out of glass. I think we lost I th- Gary, did we lose you? Or is he ignoring us? I, I listen, I, not for nothing. I get that a lot from. I get that from a lot of people. So I'm just saying here. Um, hopefully, he'll give a call back. Um, I'm just, I, from what just he's saying. So basically, what he's sitting there saying is, he never never believed in the Celtics. I know, and I'm sorry. Feel free to introduce yourself. You're here. You're, I know you're going to have an opinion, especially since we're talking Celtics. So my name's Eddie. I'm from Real Talk. If you you know to our 15 listeners who listen on Monday at 7:30. Yes. What's up, guys? I'm um, giving I'm giving some of the young blood some uh, some uh, some love on the show uh, this 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 upcoming week this this week and always you know I've always done that I've always given a lot of with love. sound advice and yeah. we really appreciate it. You know I learned a lot just by talking to this guy for 25 minutes, but he is absolutely wrong about the Celtics. We still have a chance. My Celtics fans don't give up hope. Uh, Jalen Brown will develop. Jason Tatum will develop and. This can be a good thing, okay? For a team to improve, they need to go through adversity. If you don't have adversity at the beginning of the season, let's put it this way. I'd rather have adversity at the beginning of the season than towards the end. I still think the Celtics are going to make the playoffs. and I That part's not, that part's not yeah. deniable, but I'm, I'm going to teach you another lesson here in media. You ready? Don't think with your heart. Trust, trust your eyes and trust your gut. That and don't ever bet on your team. You don't want to. Uh, yeah, you don't want to do that. You don't want to. Gary Eight is back with us. I don't. I don't. I don't, don't want to cut you off, uh, Gary. I don't know what happened there, I, but you were sitting there saying so. Basically, is if Dwayne Wade and Derrick Rose's knees um, don't hold up, what they should do is take each other's good knees and just make one <laughs> one player. Is that what well, you're saying? I don't at think this point, Rose has any good knees. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and we should all. But you know, I do think that Cleveland, if they can find the shooting around LeBron, and if those guys stay healthy, I do think they're by far the best team in the East. But I think Washington has a great chance to give them a hard time. Even if the Celtics were healthy, I'm not convinced that Washington, with that backcourt of Wall and Beal, which I think is the best in the NBA, couldn't make a run at this. I mean, John Wall last year took a lot of positive steps. Bradley Beal in particular came up huge. Beal was a beast last year. I don't care what anyone says. Um, That's a team that I think is a real, real problem. Now, I do think that T. 
Jason Tatum, based on my early <laughs> observations, is the best rookie in this draft class. Um, his length and versatility in the modern NBA, I just, I just can't see how he's not an immediate and long-term impact player. I think Boston's going to be very competitive. Between Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown, they have a lot of guts, a lot of capacity, a lot of want to. And they still have some talent. Look, it all comes down to Kyrie Irving. This is what he wanted. And I remember when the trade first went down, I thought I was someone at the New York Post wrote a wonderful liner. It said, uh, uh, Kyrie Irving's going to find out much, very quickly, that it's much better to be alongside LeBron and in his crosshairs. And right now he's squarely in the crosshairs, and he wanted this. So, <laughs> you know, this is what he requested the trade for. So can he man up, so to speak, and push through this and really elevate this team? This is the mark of a great player, LeBron. You know LeBron would bring that roster to the finals. Let's see if Kyrie can make them competitive, too. Now, uh, I, Eric is here with us, too, and Eric is a diehard Celtics fan. You know, we just we, I just gave I just gave him the yeah I just gave him the lecture of don't you know don't think with your heart think with your you know think with your eyes and think with your gut because usually usually those two things will not lie to you um, in this situation with the Boston Celtics okay they gave up a lot during the offseason. I've never seen a team make this make this type of a makeover first off correct me if I'm wrong Gary but this is the first time I've ever seen the number one and number two seed in a conference make a trade with each other after they just played each other in the conference finals well you're right Randy I, I can't recall one and I'll take it a step further I mean when was the last time to get that their conference finals adversaries last year when was the last time you saw two of the four best teams in any sport completely and totally remake their rosters I mean it's like unprecedented it really is you can say that a lot about this whole NBA offseason with all the different types of moves that were made. Um, it was a circus. There's no question. <laughs> Tonight on TNT, uh, the New Yorker switch gears here. The New York Knicks play the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, Wendy being a New Yorker, I don't know if you're able to tell by her accent that she's from New York. Uh, you might get a little hint of that at one point or another. Um, the Knicks are playing in OKC. Carmelo is playing against his uh, former team. Obviously, it would be a bigger deal once they get to New York. Um I look at the Oklahoma City Thunder as the second best team in the Western Conference, just because they they have a, obviously there's three stars there, Anthony George and Westbrook, but I also look at the other pieces they have around them, and as the type of team that has those they have rebounders, they have the guys who are going to do the dirty work like Robertson and so on and so forth. Am I wrong for thinking that this is the type of team that really can give the Golden State Warriors a really hard time? My only question with their matchup with the Warriors is going to be their offensive depth. I think they're one bench scorer away, their own version of Andre Iguodala or what you expect Wayne Wade to offer to the Cavaliers. They need that kind of guy off their bench. It's a shame that they had to give up Oladipo in the George trade because to me, someone like that as a sixth man is exactly what they're missing to, I think, dethrone the Warriors. They have everything else. With the Warriors, you have to be able to do one pick. You have to be able to switch all those picks and have multiple guys be able to guard multiple players. You need your bigs who can guard guys like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson when they have to, and Stephen Adams can do that. Roberson can do that. George can do that. Westbrook can do that. You can kind of hide Melo on Draymond Green if you have to. He's not a great defender. He's, he's an okay defender when he's motivated, and he'll be motivated this year. Um, they have the 
top-level talent. They have the starting lineup, and they have the defensive versatility. I question their ability to have sustained reserve firepower when OKC has to go up against the bench of Golden State with Sean Livingston and with Iguodala and that whole crew. I mean, and now they have uh, Swaggy P in there too. I mean, this is a this is a tough tough team from a depth perspective offensively, and I just don't know if Oklahoma City has the guns on the bench to keep up with them. And you talk about the bench and offense, but I told them before that I find Green the biggest factor in the Warriors team. Um, you could talk because you have so many multiple scorers and so between him and George, I think Green has it all over him. And I just what I say is a uh, basketball is the only sport uh, in the realm. I just do you know football, baseball, basketball. The only sport to me that it's the best of the best who are guaranteed to win the championship. Football, baseball, you got wild card teams. You got a team that me and Randy pray to with the Giants that if went even 9-7 and seven, could go for Super Bowl one and win the Super Bowl. You got baseball where there could be a very lazy team or not so great team in the beginning, make it through the wild card and win the World Series. To me, it's going to come down. The Warriors are just going to take the West. It's going to be the Warriors-Cavs. Well, and that's what you want in the NBA. The reason the NBA is the best sport in the world is because you get the cream of the crop. There's nothing less satisfying than seeing a team that should be in the playoffs to actually win the title. It just feels cheap to me. It's like so I think, Gary, you're fading in and out again a little bit here. We still have you. Okay, so we're having we're, we're still having tech issues. I, I I like what he like you know what he's saying to on, on a couple different levels, <clears throat> and we had this argument on Monday mm-hmm. about the balance of power in in the West and compared to the Eastern Conference and. You know, with, with for me, OKC, I, I think he brings up a valid point that they need one more scorer on the bench, a guy who can come do this. Our argument was about San Antonio and Kawhi Leonard. And I'm a firm believer that Kawhi Leonard is a top five player in the NBA. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember which side you were on because I was talking with both of you. I said he was the best player in the NBA. You think Kawhi Leonard, well, I think he might be the best overall player in the NBA. Maybe, I think he and LeBron is is a, is a, are in the same class because both guys do absolutely everything well. Exactly, he's a playmaker. He's a shot taker. He can do everything on the f- on the court, and he defends extremely well. And there's not a lot of guys out there right now who are doing those types of things. Like if you look at the best player on each team, it's hard for me to say, like when Paul George was on Indiana, that he was he was controlling every facet of the game. It was very hard for me, obviously, with Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony can't spell defense, so let alone play it. So I knew that coming out of Syracuse. Yeah. Well, okay. Why would he do that? Um, So you know, that's that's just my attitude. Why would he do that at all? My thing is, Kawhi. When Kawhi went down in that Warriors series, I honestly felt that the Spurs probably, if Kawhi went, Kawhi Leonard doesn't go down in that series, they beat the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, 
Absolutely. I mean, you look at that first game, they were up, what, 20 points in the third? Tw- they, were up, they, were up 25, they were up 28 points at one point. 28 points. They were up 28 points at one point. I think the biggest mistake people make when talking about beating the Warriors is they say they need to outscore the Warriors. No, you don't need to outscore the Warriors. I, guarding the Playing the Warriors is one of the easiest things in the world, but the problem is every team makes it so difficult. It makes me wonder if I should be coaching in the NBA because I'm watching this, and I'm sitting there going, how do you not see this? You, what you have to do for <coughs> Steph Curry, I know everybody loves Steph Curry. Everyone has this like imaginary man crush and woman crush on Steph Curry because he's you know the MVP, blah, blah, blah. He's a one-dimensional player who loves to shoot those jump shots. If you stay up on him and you make him work to get the ball, once he gets down to about four seconds left on the shot clock, he's forcing a bad shot. He's, he hits some of those bad shots, but I'd rather live with him taking those bad shots than letting them get to the lane and go into the lane and get easy buckets. But therein lies where I say Green is the major factor on the Warriors. But Green loses his temper. He can be mm. he can be taken out of the game at least mentally more than any other player on the Warriors, and that's why I don't think Green is that linchpin as you expect him to I, be. I agree with you on to a point with that. I also think he's he's not the dumbest person on the court. And that, what no. I mean by that is he knows that Clay's going to get the attention. He knows that Durant's going to get the attention. And he knows that Curry's going to get the attention. So he's smart enough to work <laughs> on his jump shot to know, hey, if they're going to leave me mm-hmm. open, I'm going to hit my jump shots. But it makes you wonder. If you have to pick your poison. I re- excuse me. I'd rather let Draymond Green scored 25 points and let him beat us, then let Steph Curry go off for 35 40 and let Clay go off for 25 30. And same thing with Durant. I, I'll let Draymond Green beat me <coughs> as long as the other guys are struggling with their shot and you're challenging them on every, on every shot they take. So, I'll, just one question quickly Would you have said that the Cavs would have beaten the Warriors two years ago uh, if Green was still playing? I think the momentum that momentum is just like every sport that we've been talking about. Momentum is a very scary thing. I think Cleveland winning, I think they won that year. They won game three but lost game four. And that's when Draymond, this is the year they won the championship. Cleveland won the championship. Yeah, so Draymond got suspended. Kind of a little fascination with LeBron. Right. <laughs> I, th- I think everybody felt that if Cleveland somehow wins game five, they go back to Cleveland to win to play Game Six. They're winning Game Six, and then everyone just felt that Golden State was going to win Game Seven. That's just the way general the general feeling of it was. I think I, that's how I felt it. That's everybody I spoke to at that point. I think there, there was a piece of us who a piece of us that were all rooted for Cleveland because they wanted to see it happen. And then last year, like I said on Monday, Darren Williams joined the locker room this uh, last season and pretty much derailed that team. Uh, that team. I also didn't feel last year Cleveland ever played together. I never really felt that that team was unified. Uh, how early do you think the Kyrie Irving split happened? Because we heard about it during the off season, but how early was that felt I in think, the locker room? I think that got felt r- right around that March area when Darren Williams joined the team. Um, I think. I also think that locker room got divided a little bit because. Richard Jefferson said it on his podcast. I like listening to people's podcasts who have a voice, who who are inside. Like obviously, we can all speculate because we're members of the media, and we all say, "Oh, this must be what's going on," because this is how it's perceived to us. But when there's somebody who's in that locker room and he goes on his podcast and says, "This is what's happening," I'm sort of going to believe the source of the person who's saying what's going on. Now, Richard basically, <laughs> Richard basically said 
Look, Kyrie just sort of got distant towards everybody right towards the end of the season. He did his own thing. We didn't think too much of it because when we all get into our playoff mode, this is what we do and this is how we handle it. So you take it for what it's worth. But I think at the end of the day, I don't blame Kyrie for making that request to get out of there. And it's it wasn't because and everyone thinks it's well, he just doesn't want to play with LeBron James. No, it's not that he doesn't want to play with LeBron James. LeBron James is at the tail end of his career. You know, he's got maybe three or four years left total. Kyrie's got a lot more time left. Why would he want to be the man in Cleveland when that team's going to be stripped out and not have any talent the year after LeBron leaves? Which is still up for debate whether or not LeBron leaves after I, next I, year or something. I, I don't think he's leaving at all because we were talking about this. He's the smartest guy in the room. He really is the smartest guy in the room. He's not going to pick up and go to the Western Conference to to compete just to get to the just to get to the conference finals when he can ride this ride this out in the Eastern Conference for another two to three years and get to the finals. You don't think he would move to another team in the Eastern Conference? The only team he, only team I can see him going to is Miami. Back to Miami. That's not not Washington. Nope. Okay. I, I can't see that happening, and I'll tell you why because he does still has ties down in Miami. With you know he, he and Pat Riley don't hate each other as, as contrary to the reports are. Obviously, Pat Riley is always going to say when when Pat Riley loses something. He is the worst loser in the world because he's, com- he's a competitive guy. They all are. Um, I just think that we all have to be realistic. LeBron is a smart guy. He's not going to put himself in a situation where he's not going to be successful. As long as Cleveland has horses on that team to play with him, because remember, he's 30-something years old. He's not 26 to 27 anymore like the last time he made this move. I can't see it. I can't see it. And there's people who I know for, who work within his inner circle who said, they, they don't even know where this Los Angeles report came from. Maybe because he has a house in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks... Well, what if there are a few injuries in Cleveland? No, I mean, not multiple, multiple, but what if there's like two what, injuries? What happens if Gordon Haywood breaks his foot like it happened the other night? All of a sudden, the Celtics season... I'm, sorry, I'm not saying it to rub it in, but I'm just the perfect <laughs> example. I'm really not trying to say that to rub it in on you. I apologize. You weren't, but it was good that you did. <laughs> but but it, <laughs> I'm not going to deny the humor that just came out of it that went with it. But I'm just making the point of like... The Celtics come in here with this high hopes, and all of a sudden, one big injury knocks them out. That's not saying that like LeBron or another member of the Cavaliers, like Kevin Love, can get hurt. But that's why they stockpiled their team the way they did. If if Kevin Love gets hurt, Tristan Thompson goes right back to starting, and they still have enough offense to get them through. If Golden State has the most depth in the league, they don't. If okay, so who does Cleveland? Cleveland. Cleveland. So is Golden State second? I I don't even I think don't they're know. second. The Spurs. I think the Spurs have more depth than the than the uh, Warriors do because they have you know they have their starting five. It is what it is, and they still have guys like Rudy uh, Rudy Gay coming off the bench. They have Patty Mills coming off the bench. They have other guys who are who who have had championship experience coming off their bench. Not saying that the Warriors guys off the bench, David West and Andre Iguodala, they don't have that experience, but the Spurs have guys where you're just like, well, if if A, B, and C are not having it. C, D, and F are going to come in there and hurt you. After the Warriors' big four, I, I don't trust Iguodala on a consistent basis. I don't trust David West on a consistent basis. That's just in general how I feel. We have two guys on the line. I don't want to keep them on here for too long. Uh, one of these is probably Gary. One of these is Eric, definitely Eric. So let's go line one. We'll figure out who's here. Okay. Who's on line one here? Hey, it's Eric. How you guys doing? Eric Webb from the Web Report for BackSportsPage.com. Eric, I appreciate you uh, giving a call. I know you're listening to us talk. I'm going to include who is ever online to in on the conversation. Uh, is this Gary back with us? 
Yes, I'm here. Okay. So, Gary, um, just to give everybody some background who's on the line with us, Eric Webb from BackSportsPage.com. He's uh, he's my number one basketball guy. He's he's always there with us. We we talk we talk every single week with him. Uh, Gary hosts an NBA show every single week now that the season's going. So everybody's credentials here are are pretty accurate. You guys listening to us talk about it? Um, I guess I'll go back to Gary because Gary was with us first. You hear us talking about this, and I know you're probably going to yell at me because I'm saying the Spurs have more depth than the Warriors. But the general consensus is is they do. Like I think the Spurs from top to bottom, are a better overall balanced team than the Warriors, but the Warriors just seem to have the four best guns. Well, I mean, depth starts with the top. So you can have more C and B players, but if the other team has three A players, their overall grade point average is going to be higher. And I think that's the case here with Golden State and San Antonio. I think you're right that you can look from players five on down, yeah, the Spurs have an average of better players on the guys and the roster from five to 11. But the problem is, outside of Kawhi Leonard, there's no eight players there. And, I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge has listed his time in San Antonio. I don't think there's any question about that. I don't know if he was ever like a true A-list player, but he was pretty close in Portland, but he's not that anymore. And, I mean, let's face it, Kevin Durant is the second best player in the NBA outside of LeBron James, and we have to say... You missed that argument before. You missed that argument. We, we, we've, we all just said Kawhi Leonard is probably the second best player in the NBA. I mean, he, he might be three, but my, point, my overall point is this. Kawhi Leonard, okay, he's one of the five best players in the NBA, but Thompson, Curry, and Durant are all top ten. Two of them are top five, probably, and they're <coughs> top 15. So, like, I don't care about guys 5 to 11. If I have four of the top 15 players in the NBA, it's not important. Eric, Eric, you want to chime in on this one? Yeah, I totally agree. For me, though, it's a, it's a tie between Kawhi and KD for the second spot, just because KD has grown so much defensively in, in addition to what he's been doing offensively in the league for years. But I still put LeBron at number one. And I agree that, you know, with the Warriors having so much firepower in their starting lineup that's in the top 10 or 15 in the league, I do think they're not as deep as the Spurs as you guys were saying just because of what they have coming off the bench in addition to their starting guys. Eric, I know you're chopping at the bit over there, bud. I see you chopping at the bit. So I just want to say this. The Spurs are one of those teams where if Kawhi Leonard goes down, they're not winning anything. We yeah. saw that last yeah, year. I, I agree. Okay, but the Warriors... If one of their four goes down, I think their win. I think their chances of winning drops by twenty percent instantly. So if you see Draymond go down, if you see Steph go down, or Clay or KD, they're not winning the championship. I don't think they're a good enough team to win without all four players being healthy at the same time. Especially out in the West now, because the West has become so competitive, mm-hmm. and there's. I think every team in the Western Conference in this top five, which we were discussing on Monday, and I spoke to both of you guys individually over the last couple of weeks, where I think you know my top five or six in the Western Conference, I'll, I'll, I'll really quick just read them off. I go Warriors, Thunder, uh, Spurs, uh, Rockets, then Timberwolves. Because the Tim- I think the Timberwolves just put, made so many different upgrades, and I think if Thibodeau can get, just get them all together, they have a nice mix of veteran players and young players. That they're going to make a little bit of noise, but they're not going to be competing for a championship, but they'll be making some noise. But these teams have all gotten better, and the Warriors are going to struggle with them. So, you know, I'll, I'll go, I guess we'll start, this time we'll go start with Eric on this one. A- am I wrong for thinking that the Warriors are not going to have this easy cakewalk like they've had the last couple of years? 
Oh, no, definitely not. With teams such as OKC and the Rockets and all that, you know, they've gotten way deeper in the West. I mean, the West has been deep for years, but now it's not going to be a kickwalk at all. And the playoffs are going to be a real struggle for them because they're, they're used to just walking to the finals now. I mean, last year going 16-1, and one, only dropping a couple games a year before. Like, it's not, it's not going to be anywhere near as easy. And on the same token, you know, it's obviously going to be easier for the Cavs, you know, hoping that they stay healthy. But, um, you know, they just lost one going into the finals last year, so they could go undefeated to the finals last year, I think. Gary? Well, I- I'm going to make a point of contention here. I think, and I'm, I know I'm in the minority on this one, but I don't believe the West is vastly superior to the East, top to bottom. If you go cross-conference, okay, let's just, for the sake of argument, let's say the four best teams in the West are Golden State, Oklahoma City, San Antonio, and Houston. Okay, for the sake of argument, in that order. Four of our teams in the East, for the sake of argument, in order. Cleveland, Boston, the injury notwithstanding, heading into the season. Washington and Toronto. If I put one versus one, two versus two, three versus three, four versus four, in just a hypothetical playoff series matchup, would it shock you if, say, Toronto beat Houston? That wouldn't shock me. Would it stun you if San Antonio lost? Washington? I don't think so. Would it shock me if a healthy Boston beat uh, Oklahoma City? Not at all. And it wouldn't shock me if Cleveland beat Golden State. I don't think the East is that much worse than the West. I think people are greatly underestimating that conference. I think Cleveland's in for a battle. I, I think the problem... Oh, go, go ahead, Eric, please. It's not that the East is weaker than the West. It's that the it's East not. is just doesn't have that star-level Ability to take it over the top. Like, I don't think John Wall can ever be like Kawhi or LeBron in that last two minutes and make those shots that he needs to make to help his team win. Like, they don't they don't take over games. And that's been the problem with Boston last year. They couldn't take over games when it mattered more. Isaiah Thomas did it a couple times, but there were plenty of times when he couldn't do it. They just couldn't close out games. And that's been the problem with the East for the longest time. Outside of Russell Westbrook, other two best point guards in the NBA reside in the Eastern Conference, and that's Kyrie Irving and John Wall. They're both better, in my opinion, than Stephen Curry. They're both more complete players who can do more individually without the help of a super team around them. Steph is in the perfect ideal situation at the perfect ideal time in NBA history with the perfect ideal supporting cast for his skill set. But that's sports. That's sports. It doesn't matter if you're in the perfect situation or perfect ideal time. I mean, that's the same thing with Tom Brady. You could say, oh, he got drafted in the perfect system with the perfect head coach and the perfect, you know, all those things lining up. But that's sports. You can't take what a player has accomplished in a system away from them because you'll never have the opportunity to put them in a different system and see how that's going to work. Well, I mean, I think we saw that with Kevin Durant. It worked out fine for him. He took a team in Oklahoma State to the precipice once against LeBron fell short, almost beat uh, 73-win Warriors. Remember, he had James Harden and Russell Westbrook with him. James well, Harden was playing really well. Yeah, that's true, too. But I'm, I'm going to ask everybody here a question. I'll, I'll start with in-studio first. Is there any possibility now? Because, look, and I'm Gary, I'm not minimizing your point because I, I do agree with you. I think there, there are some stars in the Eastern Conference. I think the argument is you had guys like Chris Paul moving teams in the Western Conference. You have Carmelo Anthony, who is a notable name in the Eastern Conference, going over to the Western but, Conference. But John Wall's better than, than Chris Paul. 
and Kyle Lowry is better than Chris Paul. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to disagree that John Wall is not a talented player. But Chris Paul has a bigger res- has a better resume right now than John Wall because John Wall is still young and he's still he's still he's still but writing John his Wall career. Hasn't accomplished in all that extra time. He hasn't accomplished anything more than Wall. It's again this. Now, but I have to ask you one question because just going back to the Warriors for one second. Is there any chance because of the way the Western Conference has become more competitive? And Eric, you can jump in on this too. Um, is there any way that Kevin Durant can now look like a victim compared to last year he was the villain? Because this is, this is a different story that now everyone's talking about because he won the championship last year. People vilified him, rightfully so, by the way. He was vilified last year because he left Oklahoma City, which was his team, that was up 3-1 to one on a Warriors team, that eventually came back. And, yep, and Eric and I have had this conversation when Steve was here, and I and I and I was one of the people that vilified Durant too, but the, he went to another team, the team that beat him, that was already a championship team, and he went there and won a championship. That part, that part of it, we all know that's part of the story, blah, blah blah. But he was vilified. He was the villain because he did that. Everyone called him soft. Is there any possibility now that people can say he is a victim? How so? Because. Now that this Western Conference is looking like it's going to be a little bit more competitive for him, again, now the targets are going to be on their back every single night. Look, this is their ring celebration the other night. This is the night that's supposed to be celebrating the fact that they're the world champions. And they look like they didn't... It didn't look like they weren't interested in playing. It looked like that they felt that they, it, was, it was a win in the books already. That's how it, look, that's how it looked like to me. It looked like they, they felt like this was not supposed to be much of a challenge, and Rockets pushed them, and they won. It doesn't matter that the time ran out. Don't you want to see, though, KD having targets on him? Isn't that the whole point, to see who's the best of the best? We all hated LeBron James when he went to Miami, and then when he went back to Cleveland, he looked like a hero for doing it. Well, we also hated the yeah. two-hour special. Uh, well, I, everybody hated the decision. <laughs> I thought that was the dumbest thing in the world. It was yeah. the best sick on the whole. That's the only thing he regrets, the decision. Yeah, that's the only thing he regrets is the decision. I, you know what I regret? I regretted those making those poor kids sitting there in the bleachers for two hours. <laughs> sitting there, don't move. LeBron is talking. Don't move. LeBron is talking. Yeah. That's what I regret. No, I, 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 honestly, I honestly feel, again, if... If the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, I'm sorry, if uh, the Golden State Warriors lose this year and Kevin Durant decides to opt out of his contract and goes back to OKC and then goes wins a championship with OKC, do we look at him any differently in that type of situation like it was like with LeBron James? I still look at him as a cupcake because he can't do it on his own. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think nowadays the banana boating and basketball, it's just there. It's no longer, you know. I, I hate think that thing called the banana boat. It just sounds oh, so come creepy. On, jump on the banana. Really Have you ever gotten on a banana boat? No. I, okay, I, well, I've never been on, on anything boat. named the banana. Okay. okay. <laughs> take it the way you want to take it. Banana boat, it's just a yellow uh. thing that looks like a banana. But I think that nowadays, the banana boat, it's almost like it's an so acceptable. <laughs> okay, well, we'll call it the apple boat. What was the last team that won without an all star player? Won the NBA championship. The Detroit oh. Pistons, 2004. 2004. It's 2017. That's 13 years. The yeah. era of players getting drafted, winning a championship with their home team without bringing anybody in is over. The sooner we get used to that, the better it is. That's true. That Detroit team brought in Rasheed Wallace midseason that year, and he was one of the best forwards 
that point. Chauncey Phillips mm-hmm. was an all-star guard, and so was Richard Hamilton. Now, they might not have made the all-star team that season, but they were all-star level players. Yeah. And Tayshawn Prince was borderline all-star himself and one of the best defenders in the NBA. That was a loaded team. Right, Rashid Wallace, notwithstanding, the rest of those guys didn't make the All Star team until, the, if not the the next year, the year after. But the thing is, though, with that team, though, like if you look around again, I grew up in a, in a different era. I grew up in the Jordan era, where Jordan didn't join forces with you know. Yeah, he had Robin, he had Pippen, and he had like he had some guys with him. They came to him. They were drafted. That was a team that was built perfectly for his skill set. That was a great team without him. They damn near made it to the. Yeah, it's true. But Jordan wanted to beat guys. You know, like mm-hmm. like Barkley. Do you know how many great? I mean, great NBA players missed out on winning a championship because Jordan was in the league. Elijah. Uh, about Bill Russell, you could say the same thing about a lot of different guys. You could say the same thing about Michael Yeah, it's true. Like, there's, 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 I think we're we're losing the argument here. I, I'm basically my question was about Durant. Is there any way at this point in his career for what he's done and what he's accomplished that he can be looked at as a victim from the scrutiny? Just like like we like just like we all tore LeBron James apart for being down in Miami for what he did to Cleveland. Can we look at Durant again and ever sit and say, you know what? Us as media members and us as a fan base are wrong for vilifying him for his decision. No. He made the right decision. What's that, Eric? I'm sorry. Oh, no, you go. Oh, he made the right decision. He should have left, but uh, is he a a victim? Absolutely not. He made the decision he made knowing full well what was going to come out of it, and so this past summer, he had that Twitter uh, Twitter account. Well, I, was, uh, I was about to say the exact same thing but because said two Twitter yeah, different right. Accounts. So this guy is so insecure that he has to make a fake account and mm-hmm. tweet at fans that are talking bad about him. Wait, wait, you don't do that? Do you have facts about this? No, I don't. Get, I don't care. I barely know how to use one Twitter account. Yeah, you thank you, thank you. <laughs> I'm 37 years old. I'm, I just realized what Twitter was about a week and a half. ago. Do you ago. think Michael Jordan would ever do that? No, because Michael Jordan doesn't know how to use Twitter. <laughs> right. <laughs> but if Michael Jordan was in the era of Twitter, do you think he'd ever be that insecure? Well, 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 first of all, but he'd be tweeting out other stuff. Michael Jordan, I mean, you saw when you watched him play, he had a mouthful to say every the, single game. The he'd biggest be, trash talker in yeah, the NBA's history, the, Michael Jordan. Even over uh, Johnson and Bird, even though Bird was great. Jordan on Twitter right now, they would have had to take his Twitter account away the yeah. first day he had it. Wait, he talked... I'm, I'm not from that era, so did he talk trash during the game uh, or during, after During, during game? middle, after, before... Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll back up on that. Yeah, Larry, By the way, Larry Bird talked trash, but he had such an accent, nobody understood what he was saying. Um, look, at the end of the day, Gary, um, Eric, look, at the end of the day, Durant... Durant is definitely like look. Durant, look. LeBron was an insecure guy too. Look, let's not. We put LeBron on this pedestal right now, and sitting there saying the way you know the way he did his career when he was down in Miami too. He was very sensitive. You look about he 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 felt that Cleveland did him wrong when he went back to Cleveland for the first time. He didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. I got to tell you something, okay. You make decisions like this, and uh, Gary, you and I have argued this point so much over the last like year and a half. I'm sorry that I'm going to keep saying it like this. But Durant, in my eyes, deserves all the abuse he, he gets. All right, I agree. I, 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 no, Gary can chime in on that. I think Durant deserves every piece of abuse that he gets because you're up three to one on, with your team. 
if you're the man, I know Westbrook is, a, is a, there was this little competition between Durant and Westbrook to see who was the alpha dog on that team, but if you're the man on that team, you're closing out that game. You're winning yep. game six at home. Game five, I expect you to lose that game. I expect you to go back to your house three to two, just like Jason Kidd back when the Nets were uh, not, not the two finals years, that next year where they've lost to Detroit. And you're Detroit one. The Nets went back to their building up three to two, and Jason sa- Jason Kidd says, "I'm the leader of this team. This loss falls on me for not closing out that game." Durant had to close out that game. He didn't. He couldn't handle it, so he went to a team where he can play freely and not have the pressure of being the man. That says something about his character. Is that the trend in the NBA, though? Yes, that's what I was talking about. Banana voting has now become a trend. Again, when you talk about the 80s, 90s plays, no. Reggie Miller, you would have never gotten any of them. Oak, Falk, you would have never gotten any of them together on the same team. The dream team, you know, their first dream team, now that was great. But would they have ever gotten together and picked out who was going to get the ball more? No, there would be fistfights on the floor. So I only say with Durant now, I wouldn't use the word victim. I don't even think that should be an option of choice. A, it might have been the wrong word to use. Because it, <laughs> but I just feel that, you know, nowadays, are we to judge if others are doing it? Whether or not it was the scenario of them being up 3-1 to one and all he had to do was close it out. Yes, I understand there are different situations in all the scenarios, but if at the bottom line, if people are banana boating... Uh, why are we to say this one is worse? Uh, Stop! It's banana boat. From now on, it's gonna be banana. I'll take a picture and put you on a banana. She's going to text me pictures it. of people sitting on bananas no, for the I'm next six weeks. <laughs> I just want to let everybody know this is this is gonna haunt me now for the rest of my life. All right, guys, let's uh, let's let's wrap this up. Eric, um, same time, same place next week for you. Correct? Certainly. All right, Eric. We'll talk to you next week, bud. Thanks for having me. Thanks. You got Get Gary. You still with us? Yes, I'm here. Okay. Let's let's wrap this up on a bow. Let everybody know where they can hear you and find you on social media and your show. Yeah, it's called the NBA show. It airs in Washington. Yeah. Gary, we lost again. It's the NBA show. You can check it out at uh, the NBA.com. Um, he, like I said, he's a knowledgeable guy, very good guy. Uh, follows the league like it's no one's business. Um, just like just like everybody found a way to broke in to break into the business, and, he, and he's doing it. So all you know, all kudos to him. Um, I'm looking forward to having him back on. Like I said, I'm not meaning to start arguments. Like I just, this is how I feel in my heart. She knows this. She knows right, this about but me. But that's sports. Sports is supposed right. to come from the heart, and it's not arguments. As I much just as don't want to see Draymond Green win another championship because he doesn't deserve it. You know, I hate. Yeah, well, you know what? Draymond, he listen, changed that culture. Y- yeah, by kicking people. Yeah, by the banana. There's the banana again. There we go. The Detroit Pistons of the '80s. It was Lambeer crushing people. Well, no. First of all, if you want to hear something interesting about the bad boy Pistons quickly, Lambeer, they were known because they in the locker room said, we're going to hit people. That was it. Their yeah. plan was to hit. However, Lambeer was the only one, okay, that did not mean to hit people. However, his hand was so big that when he came down, he hit someone. No. Other than that, the rest of them, Lambeer. it was all, let's go out and hit someone. I've shaken that man's hand. I've met Bill Lambeer. I'm not going to lie to you. There's many, not many people I fear in my life. 
just looking at him, I'm, I, there's a piece of me that feels like my life will never be the same just because he said hello to me. And again, he was the only I one who didn't do it on purpose, yeah. but because he's so huge, it just came down and wailed people. He's he's, stand, he's standing behind me in the buffet line. I'm sitting there going, sir, you should just go right in front of me. Whatever you <laughs> whatever you say, sir, you just go right ahead. Uh, do you want him, though? And he'll uh, eat a little uh, bit off. I'm not going to lie to you. I, uh, he can, uh, you can have whatever you want, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Is the time, that's the attitude that I have. Um, okay, so let's shift gears. Oh, go ahead. Did, did you want to jump in on this? Uh, uh, please. Uh, no, I was just going to say my favorite Bill Lambeer moment is when they were playing the second championship game against the Lakers, and he's shouting in the sidelines, this is our championship. They can't take it. Mm-hmm. That defines the bad boy Pistons but, to but, me. But that also defines what leadership is, and that's, I think, something that's lacking in the NBA. Because we're now, and this is, like, we didn't even get into it with Gary. Um, he and I have had, like, screaming matches with each other when it comes to one topic in pro basketball. Okay. And I'm going to go there in one second. This portion of the program is brought to you by our good friends over at Grail Martial Arts Academy in Caldwell, New Jersey. Get, check them out now at neonbelly.com. You're not just joining a martial arts academy. You're joining a family. They have kickboxing, junior kickboxing, uh, jiu-jitsu, any type of martial arts you want to learn. They have it there at Grail Martial Arts in Caldwell, New Jersey. Go to neonbelly.com right now. Okay. I'm sorry. I had to get that in because if I don't get it in, I'm in trouble. They're going to beat me up. So with that being said, look – there is one thing that Gary and I have argued with, and I'd love to get both of your perspectives on it because I feel that I'm 100% right and everybody else is 100% wrong, and that's my, my, my well, right to. Well, this is your show. Oh, I think it's my, you it's my show. My name is in the title, and I get to sit in the big chair, and this is how I feel. I feel that the NBA has to, do, has to fix one glaring problem because it's affecting the draft, it's affecting the college programs, it's affecting everything. They have to raise the age limit back into the NBA to 21 years old, or older, and I'll tell you okay. why. And uh, there's going to be three practical reasons. One, college is job training. You're not going to see lawyers leave college early to become a lawyer, or become an accountant, or anything of that sorts. Two, it is not fair of the owner to look at their coach and say, "I'm bringing in this 19-year-old kid. Teach him how to play the game." And by the way, you have to coach for your job as well. It's not. It's not good. I I rather have an experienced player go through a, someone who's going to teach him the right way to play the game, not Duke. Because again, we, we like just the same phrase I said on Monday. Those programs are not coaching them to get them ready for the NBA. They're coaching them to win program uh, games for their program. I understand that. Unless you go to Kentucky, where Calipari teaches them and gets them ready for the NBA, or Roy I, Williams, or Roy Williams, they get them ready for the NBA. I honestly feel from the bottom of my heart that if they raise the age limit up and let them get at least three years of playing college ball in, they're, they're, they're going to be drafting like they did back in the 90s and the early 2000s. You're going to be getting pieces to help complete the, uh, to complete the run to go get a championship. Not trying to say, I'm going to draft this kid on potential, and then you end up wasting a draft pick three years later because it doesn't pan out. I'd rather the last time they took a senior in the NBA draft in the top five was back in 2006. Okay, so it's a major, major, major problem, and he's going to look this up because he's because he's he wants to see if I'm right, and I know that I'm right because I checked this last week. I'm thinking about Marcus Smart. I'm trying to think if he, was he a sophomore or he was a junior. He, he was a, I think he was a sophomore. He was a sophomore. Yeah, and Marcus Smart, by the way, no, known best for getting into a fight with a fan in the stands. That's the last thing I remember about Marcus Smart. He had some. He had some moments last year that I watched him play in the NBA. I'm, okay, like I'm, I'm, I saw him against Chicago. I watched him a couple different times in the playoffs. Like obviously, that game against Cleveland, he was great. 
but Marcus Smart is not living up to that expectation level of a lottery pick. You want to know what my favorite Marcus Smart moment is? What's that? Him taking the ball up the court, shooting it with 20 seconds left on the clock and missing every single time. Yep, that's pretty much That's his career. No, that's and that's the thing though. My, there's more Kwame Browns coming out of go, you know going right into the NBA at the age of 18, 19 years old than there are LeBron Jameses. People want to underst- have to understand LeBron is a once in a lifetime type of guy. If you want to, and people like to throw the Kobe Bryant and Kevin Garnett argument at me, okay. With it took them three years, three years to become per, per, uh, you know become all stars and become the big men in the NBA. And that's when after three or four years in the NBA is when they finally started averaging twenty seven uh, points. Somebody would have an argue with you, uh, Lavar Bell. Okay, can I tell you something? <laughs> Although, and I got to tell you, that is exactly what Magic Johnson wanted because they know that team is not going to be good this year. But because of that whole beep show. Because of that chaos, people are going to pay attention to the Lakers. The NCAA violation that happened recently is the number one reason why I'm not okay with that. Because you have these college kids, you know, you have these high school students going into college to play basketball. They're making their programs tons of money. Mm -hmm. And they're signing illegal deals, you know, illegal sponsorships, illegal agent deals. And they're they're ruining their lives. Okay, here's, a, here's, here's, here's where I'm going to go with that, though. I'm at an understanding with the NCAA that they're going to make millions of dollars to spite themselves between college football and college basketball. The likeness of the college athletes are going to be exposed in the video games and everything else like that. They're going to sell jerseys at the school stores with, without the names on it. Sometimes they will have the names on it. Sometimes they won't have the names on it. And they'll sell them in you know, the malls and everything else like that. But here's the thing that everybody wants to fight me with. Does anybody else realize that they're not getting a free $80,000 education? But how many of them actually care about that education? How many of them went to high school, kept up with their grades, go to college, show up to classes? But that's not the... the, in yeah, some ways I understand where you're coming from. That's your excuse. See, to me, I mean, I'm not going to get into Holton because it's going to be a long, long day. Yeah, you is, have to prepare argument. yourself, okay? And it's so hard for these kids because they could leave to the NBA so young to realize the education. I mean, they should be looking at former players who went in number one, signed this multi-million dollar deal, and a year or two later either got hurt or dead broke. And that goes on. And I understand... Uh, if not for uh, them putting the stuff away, look at uh, Allen Iverson. He was dead broke, except for they put money away. He became an alcohol. My point <laughs> is, is that they got. Hey, it is what it is. Okay? I just like the way you said it. It was like the little side note. By the way, he's an alcoholic. <laughs> and Randy really likes bananas, but. My point is that I really don't. That's the bad part. And as and he winks right now, you uh, just gonna see it. I'm. I, I did nothing with the swords. Um, but you just—I'll be over here. Ed- education, <laughs> and I'm not talking about getting yourself the top-notch education and getting an A in all classes because that wasn't me at all. Just get something though to back up even, a, and the thought process of them. That's why they're not even learning more because they're figuring they're going to go boom. But boom, that's, boom, that's human lead. choice, that's and that's why I feel that it should be a rule. You can't. You can't just. I know where you're going. I know where you're going to go with this. Let me just get this point out real quick. It's I don't blame the kid for having those dreams of going to play one year of college. Going to I, I I blame the parents in that situation because they're filling up their their brain and they're letting it get to the point where they're saying, 
You know, you know, you can leave school and go to the NBA. And and, and don't be wrong, if 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 someone's going to offer an eighteen an eighteen year old twenty five million dollars to go play a game, and it's the right thing to do for his family, I would never tell an eighteen year old. Uh, not to do it because at the same time he has to do what's best for his family and take care of them too. And of course the the um, the argument of college will always be there. Of course college will always be there. But here is my major issue with it from a business perspective. And, and again, this is part of the business we're in. It's about making money. And I understand that from a player perspective. I understand it from a team perspective. And I understand it from a league perspective. You the, the main big thing is making money. I think the NBA is hurting the quality of their game because they bring in too many people who do not have the proper education. What about of the maturity game. level too? Or the maturity level of it. That's why I love college football in that sense because they don't allow you into that NFL locker room until you're 22 years old. Well, that's because this is completely. It's a more physical now, game. Obviously, the human body isn't developed but, 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 to handle the NFL. But let me ask you this. Would you say the NBA is one of those sports where talent trumps everything? Where yeah. if you have well, the most talent and decent basketball IQ... But that's what I... S- you yeah, right, right, right. That's so, the only sport that it would involve the best of the best. Do you it? agree with that? I agree with that to a point. To a point. Okay. To a point. She knew I was going to say to a point. And the reason <laughs> why... And I'll just throw a reason why I say to a point is because sometimes you don't know how much potential and how much talent a kid actually has until he has the education and knows how to use it. And the problem is NBA coaches are not looking to try and get those potentials out of those kids. They're looking to coach for their jobs. Right. But that's the sports business. Like Just because you have a kid coming out of college four years in instead of one doesn't necessarily guarantee that no, that coach won't be coaching for his job either way. No, You're still betting on that kid to play good. But the player has a little bit more, he has a little bit more maturity and yes. he has a little bit more education Mat- of the game itself. See. But you see in basketball, you can see talent from a mile. Like you could, when Anthony Davis was coming out as a freshman, you knew he was going to be good. Okay, but I got a question now. You say about their talent coming in, and it doesn't really matter. You're saying the maturity part, but it does because then they get frustrated with themselves, act like a little kid, advert back okay. to when they can't play because they don't have the mental state. But that's on the owners to provide a, sp- a support system. But no, it's not. It's yes, it is because if, the you're, investing, mm. if yeah. you're investing $25 million into no. a kid, into a 19-year-old kid, I mean, remember, the owners were willing to do this. They're the ones who are saying it's okay for me to do that. If the owner wanted to draft a guy that that's, stayed in college, the CBA who's allowing that to happen. But here's 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 but here's here's where I'm gonna fight you on it. Here's where I'm gonna have to fight you on it. Because at the end of the day, you ask me what I'd rather have. If you have a twenty one, twenty two year old kid coming out of college and he's going to the NBA and he's going to sign million dollar contracts, don't get me wrong, he's probably still gonna go out and have fun, still have parties, still have that you know, enjoy being a professional, enjoy the fruits of his of his labor in that sense. But if you bring in a 19-year-old, someone who's still underage, still shouldn't be drinking, and still and still has a sense of immaturity in him, I'd rather have the 21, 22-year-old who's already had the experience of playing in big game situations, who has more experience, who's went through a system, and understands that it's also the job responsibility, not just the glitz and glamour of it. I will agree with you on one thing. If the NBA implemented that rule, right... For about two, three years, you would have a serious talent deficit coming out of coming out of the draft because freshmen, juniors, and sophomores wouldn't be able to come in. So it would basically be seniors. If they're 21 and over, if that's a rule, it'd be juniors and seniors, right? Mm-hmm. So you would have to get the players that are playing in D-leagues, playing overseas, you would have to start Why? bringing them in more. 
Why? Every year there's going to be juniors and seniors coming out of the schools. It's just, and again, quickly to me, you talk about the life. I still think 21-year-olds with their lifestyle, they're going to be drinking. And in college, you could say, well, they shouldn't be in the NBA with these signings. But we see in college nowadays with how much kickbacks even these athletes are getting, oh. not even on the thing. So they go out and party when they're in college. So, you know, that's a little bit... But maturity to me is a very big part. Not saying get yourself a doctrine and stuff in school, but just a basic education. But that also relies on the school for forcing the students to actually have good academic standing and actually staying on top of that. How many colleges actually let their players slide? I believe half the players in the NBA don't know how to read, and that's just not me being funny. I think that's just me being being serious because their emphasis is not being put on but if the you were the education aspect it's being put on making sure you can put the ball in hoop. But guys, I have 30 seconds left. Um, just really quickly, let's do. I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Real quick, give, plug it. Plug, plug as much as you can. Go, so go, go. Real talk, Mondays, 7.30. Me and my boy Mike, we bring the hottest takes every single Monday. You, me and our 15 followers would really appreciate if you listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> the Giant Insider, Twitter, at Wendy Birdie Greco, without the I. And. Uh, Birdie, B-I-R-D-E, as opposed to I-E, and Instagram, Wendy.Greco. Off-topic, BSP. Off-topic is uh, everywhere, of course, on BackSportsPage.com. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram, RandyBSP. Uh, same bad time, same bad channel next week. I don't know who's going to be with me in the studio. I always sort of make that up. Uh, what do you think? I usually make that my mind on, like, Thursday morning. By the way, Randy's favorite group is Banorama. Oh, Jesus. All right. <laughs> with, that being, with that being said, we'll see you guys next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. See you guys next week. Bye. He probably has no clue what I just said.
yes. Also, kind of going off with the music thing, um, another way to help you study information that you don't care about, guys, five to 11, if I have four of the top 16 players in the NBA, it's not important. Eric, Eric, you want to chime in on this one? Yeah, I totally agree. For me, though, it's a, it's a tie between Kawhi and KD for the second spot, just because KD has drawn so much defensively, and in addition to what he's been doing offensively in the league for years. But I still put LeBron at number one, and I agree that, you know, with the Warriors having so much firepower in the starting lineup that's in the top 10 or 15 in the league, I do think they're not as deep as the Spurs as you guys were saying. Just because what they, what they have coming off the bench in addition to their starting guys. Eric, I know you're chopping at the bit over there, bud. I see you chopping at the bit. So, I just want to say this. The Spurs are one of those teams where... If wow, I couldn't have picked down, better transition music myself. Thank you so much. This is Colin Knight, and thanks for tuning in to Colin Knight's Audio Assault on America. Tonight we're presenting Colin's Guilty Pleasures. I'm going to be playing a lot of folk and blues. So as it's the top of the hour, I'll read it off. This is 90.3 WRPR here at Ramapo College in Mawa, New Jersey. Uh, I'll start off my first set with a really cool collaboration I think everyone's going to really enjoy, and we'll meet back up here in 20 minutes. <laughs> 